Why don't we start with a word of prayer so we can ask God to get things ready for us. Father in heaven, thank you again for this time. We just pray and ask you would bless us with the Holy Spirit. Lord, we pray that you'd make this time productive. Dear Jesus, we are here because we are hungry and thirsty for you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. All right. Okay, I think we're ready now. Um, I'm really excited about this conference because we're going to be talking about a variety of topics. We're going to be talking about the daily battle that we have as Christians, as Seventh-day Adventists. We're going to be talking about relationships. We're going to be talking about the great controversy. We're going to be talking about how to make the Bible practical. How many people would really, really appreciate that? Amen. Amen. You know, um, coming back here, I, I just reminded me many times of my college experience. Now I have been to different colleges, public colleges, uh, universities, uh, Seventh-day Adventist colleges, got to speak at a variety of places. And I really appreciate the last time I came here to speak. It was during Asian night. Asian night. How many Asian people do we have here? Three people. Okay. Very good. Very good. So it was the only time I was invited to Southern because of the fact that I was Asian. You know India is in Asia. You know that, right? Every time I tell somebody uh, who from, who's from China or from Japan or Korea, hey, I'm Asian, they just look at me and they say, no, you're not. <laughs> I say, well, what continent is India on? And they'll look at me and they'll think, they'll say, Africa? <laughs> hey, it's all right, it's all right. All right, I think we're ready to go. Okay. Very good, very good. Now, let me tell you a brief story. It happened to me several years ago, but I think it was very important. It actually, a conversation I had earlier today reminded me of this very story. Some of you have heard this story before, but I'm going to repeat it. You know, um, when I was in series, that's where I pastor. Before I became the senior pastor, I was the associate pastor. And I had a, a you know, a, just a, a wonderful experience living in this apartment that I was living in. It was just a single-bedroom apartment, and oftentimes I would have to keep company by texting my friends nonstop all day and throughout the night. And uh, one morning, I got up extremely early, around like 4 a.m., and I was doing my devotions. I was just spending time with Jesus, and I found this powerful verse found in Isaiah 65. I believe it's verse 23 or 22, and it says these words, that before you call, I will answer And while you are still speaking, I will hear. And so I read that verse, and I was so excited about this. I said, I have to share it with my friends. So what I began to do, I thought, man, I have a brilliant idea. I'm going to text all my friends at 5 a.m. They're really going to appreciate this scripture verse coming to them. (laughs) And that's what I did. However, I also accidentally texted one of my friends who's an atheist. This individual was somebody who used to be a Seventh-day Adventist Christian. He was actually studying to become a pastor. But then he fell away from the Lord and not only rejected God, he said he was an avowed atheist. He wanted nothing to do with God, very angry with God. Last time I talked to him, he was just cursing up a storm. storm. I mean, he would, every other word, I mean, it had to be censored. And so, you know, when I accidentally texted him, I looked back on my phone and I thought to myself, uh-oh. I'm about to receive a text message that I can't repeat in public. And so I put the phone down. I'm like, I'm going to go back to sleep. Maybe I'll wake up. Maybe it'll be pleasant. And sure enough, 
the light came on on the phone, and it was him. And so I opened up the text message, and you know what it said? It said these words, thank you, brother. Now I thought to myself, well, that's quite strange. I wonder why he would say something like that. So I texted him back, and I said, what do you mean by that? <laughs> the awkward conversations that happen at 5 a.m. And then he says, I just had a very interesting experience. I had this nightmare, and it was just this darkness. It was just this deep darkness, and there was this loneliness that was there. I felt this extreme, like this void in my heart and this just misery in this dream. He said, as soon as I came out of the dream, I said, God, if you're there, show yourself. And all of a sudden, his phone went off, and there was a text message that said, before you call, I will answer. And while you're still speaking, I will hear. And you know what he wrote back to me next? He said, there is a God. Can you say amen to that? Amen. amen. God is faithful, and I know that he is going to be answering many prayers this week. He's going to be answering prayers that we haven't even asked. The Bible says that before we call, he will answer. And while we're still speaking, while still on our lips, he will hear. You know, one day I spoke at a graduation, and I told the students something to remember for the rest of their life. I said, there are two things you have to remember for the rest of your life. Don't ever forget these two words, these two phrases. And they said, okay, what is it? I said, number one, don't ever forget there is a God. Amen? Amen. Don't ever forget there is a God. And then I said, number two, you're not him. <laughs> Amen? Amen? There is a God, and you're not him. Let God do what God wants to do, Right? This is what the daily conflict is all about, is discovering what God wants to do and what he's calling us to participate in. Now, regardless of what your spiritual background is or what you may term your spiritual condition, I want to promise you it is during these times, these conferences, where God opens up a very special window of opportunity to minister to us in an extraordinary way. Oftentimes, it's during these conferences that God will reveal his plans, his directions, his purposes, his comfort to God's people. So I really want to urge you, do whatever it takes to be here each night and during the seminar presentations. God wants to bless you, right? I want to share with you a very powerful quote found in the spirit of prophecy. This is so amazing, okay? Let's see if this thing works. Okay, very good. The fallen world is the battlefield for the greatest conflict the heavenly universe and the earthly powers have ever witnessed. I want to read that one more time. The fallen world is the battlefield for the greatest conflict the heavenly universe and earthly powers have ever witnessed. Now we think to ourselves, well, I'm just a college student attending Southern Adventist University. I'm not in the midst of a war zone or a battlefield. What is this talking about? It was appointed as a theater upon which would be fought out the grand struggle between good and evil, between heaven and hell. Every human being acts a part in this conflict. Whether you want to believe it or not, every person here is involved in this grand theme of a heavenly controversy. No one can stand on neutral ground. Man must either accept or reject the world's redeemer. All are witnesses either for or against Christ. Christ calls upon those who stand under his banner to engage in the conflict with him as faithful what? soldiers that they may inherit the crown of life. Battles are to be fought when? Every day. 
Battles are to be fought every single day. You know, we look at the Bible and we see that the Bible describes this great controversy, this universe, this war that has taken place for thousands of years. Now, how does our life matter in the midst of this war that has taken place for eons? Our life is a campaign in this war. I want to say that one more time. Our lives are various kinds of campaigns in this war. A war is made up of various kinds of campaigns. And your daily life is a battle within that campaign. And it is the daily battles that determines the victor in the campaigns. And the campaigns determine who ultimately wins this war. Now, many of you are thinking to yourself, well, we already know who wins this war. But here's the thing to understand. It's the casualties in this war that are, that are just right in the heart of God himself that he is most concerned about. God does not want to lose a single soul here. Can you say amen to that? And what we're going to be learning this week is a very practical way how we can be victorious in this battle. Now, I'm going to give a, a wonderful revelation to you right now. Some of you may know about this revelation. Some of you do not. And here it is. Everyone is struggling. I want to say that one more time. I know that was mind-blowing right now. <laughs> Everyone is struggling. Now, oftentimes, I thought to myself when I was a college, a Seventh-day Adventist person who was interested in spiritual things, I thought to myself, one day I'm going to reach a point where I'm no longer struggling. One day I'm going to be like so-and-so, a mentor or a particular just role model, spiritual role model. One day I'm going to be like that, and I'm not going to have the struggles that I now have today. And I want to tell you something. Nobody besides Jesus had it together. Oftentimes, we're waiting for this month where everything finally coalesces. When I finally get my career, when I'm finally married, when I finally have kids, when I finally have that house, then the struggles are going to stop. You are in for a big surprise. We are told from the cross to the crown, we are going to struggle. And until the day that we step foot on that heavenly Jerusalem, we are going to be fighting this battle. You know, I heard what one old man said. He was, he was in this concert. I think it was the Gaither Brothers or whatever. But there was a bunch of the relatives that were there in this concert. I don't know why I watch that. Indian people really don't watch the Gaither Brothers. And so what happened is that he stands up, okay? One of the old men in this concert. And he says one of the most remarkable words I have ever heard in my entire life. And this is what he says. They are only going to be veterans in heaven. There are only going to be veterans in heaven. In other words, people who have fought in this great controversy war are going to be the only people that are going to be in heaven. If you are not struggling and fighting in this war, guess what? Not going to be in heaven. There are only veterans that are going to be in heaven. Nobody is going to reach heaven without a struggle. Can you say amen to that? And it's very important to understand this from the very begin beginning, that there is going to be a massive struggle. All the way from the cross to the crown, we are going to struggle to enter into heaven. Now we're going to be looking at a theme verse right here. It's very powerful. It's found in the Gospel of Matthew. The Bible here describes somebody very interesting. His name was John the Baptist. And the Bible says this about John the Baptist. One day when Jesus was speaking about John the Baptist, John the Baptist was actually put in prison. You know, when I first became a Christian, 
I, I really had a hard time reading the Bible. So you know what I did? I would watch Christian movies. Okay? And the first time I was introduced to John the Baptist, there was this movie. I think it was like the Gospel of Matthew. And the first scene starts off with this giant like grasshopper on this plant. And all of a sudden you see these eyes come up. And he just bites into the grasshopper. And I'm looking at this thing. And then it says, and then there was John the Baptist. And I thought to myself, wow. <laughs> I'll tell you this. Sometimes Christian, Christians are very weird. Amen? Let's stick with what the Bible says right here. One day when John the Baptist, he was put in prison. And in that prison, he was put there because he had preached the truth. But did you know when he was put in this prison, he was actually struggling with some things. He was struggling with his belief that Christ really was the Messiah because he was not being delivered from that prison. And one day he sends some disciples out and the disciples go speak to Jesus. And Jesus sends them off after showing them some miracles. But then after the disciples leave, Jesus begins to talk about John the Baptist. And he says, hey, when you went out to see John, what did you go see? A reed shaken in the wind? He says, when you went to go see John, what did you see? Someone who was clothed in luxurious clothing? He's like, no, those kinds of people live in, live in king's homes. But then watch what he says right here. Assuredly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has not risen one greater than who? John the Baptist. But he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Now watch what he says right here, this very enigmatic verse. And from the days of John the who? Baptist until now. In other words, something started with John the Baptist, and it was continuing during the time of Christ. And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. And I thought to myself, man, this must be referring to persecution. But here's something to understand. When you read the Old Testament, a lot of God's people suffered violence. So this wasn't obviously talking about physical violence. This was referring to something else. Some kind of aggression that would begin during the time of John and would continue. And what you see right here. You do not see the word violence used in a very negative sense. What you are actually looking at is a very positive construction upon the word violence. And what Jesus was saying right here is, he said that John the Baptist began to unleash a new wave of spirituality. A new wave of spirituality. A very aggressive, a very just very energetic, forceful approach to getting to heaven. In fact, what is so remarkable, the Gospel of Luke talks about this a little bit more. Look what the Bible says right here in the Gospel of Luke 16, verse 16. The law and the prophets were until John. Since that time, the kingdom of God has been preached, and everyone is, what's that next word? Pressing. That is the same word that is used to describe violence. It's more of a passive word. But it said everyone is pressing into it. If you've got various translations, it says that everyone is wanting to aggressively enter into the kingdom of heaven. And what was Jesus talking about? Jesus was saying that John the Baptist, this mysterious stranger who showed up, began to unleash a new wave of spirituality. 
In fact, it was so powerful. Look what Ellen White says about John the Baptist and the spirituality. It was so amazing when you read this passage, this quote right here. When John's voice was heard in the wilderness saying, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight, Satan feared for the safety of his kingdom. Now just think about this. John the Baptist, this preacher who showed up and began to unleash this new wave of spirituality, made Satan, the mightiest angel ever created, tremble. Now just think about this. This man actually made the most mightiest angel tremble. Notice what she says right here, that Satan feared for the next, notice these words, for the safety of his kingdom. Now imagine that. When you take a good look at John the Baptist, like, man, what did he unleash? You see, John the Baptist began a revolution, a special kind of revolution that really wasn't experienced by many of the Old Testament patriarchs. And what Jesus was saying about John the Baptist is, is that he was unleashing this new wave of spirituality where everyone would try to make their way to the entrance of heaven. You know what the daily battle is all about? It's about discovering how we can make it to, to heaven. Amen? In fact, I'm going to show you something so powerful found in the scriptures about somebody who was a warrior for God. A group of people, a group of, you could say, super athletes. You see, there was a man by the name of David in the Bible, King David. And when he was still a fugitive, take your Bible, go to First, uh, first Chronicles chapter 12. You're going to see something very interesting. First Chronicles chapter 12. You see, David had, was still not yet king. He was still a fugitive. And while he was still a fugitive, the Bible says that various people began to join his army. Various kinds of military men, armies, bat battalions began to join themselves to David because they all believed in something about David, that he would be eventually the king of Israel, the king of Israel. Take your Bible, let's go to 1 Chronicles chapter 12. 1 Chronicles chapter 12. 1 Chronicles chapter 12. I learned something about pastors. It's a secret. When you're reading an Old Testament name that you cannot pronounce, you say it with an accent, and it sounds like you know how to speak Hebrew. It is a secret that pastors are not telling you that many of them do not know actually how to pronounce the Hebrew names. Most people in the world do not know how to pronounce the Hebrew names except for Dr. Hazel. Okay? Okay. Let's go to 1 Chronicles chapter 12. Notice what the Bible says right here. Now there were these men who came, from Dave, came to David at where? Ziklag. Okay? Now if I didn't tell you what I did tell you, you would think he understands Hebrew. While he was still a fugitive from Saul, the son of Kish. And they were among the mighty men, helpers in the war, armed with bows, using the right hand and the left in hurling stones and shooting arrows with the bow. They were of Benjamin, Saul's brethren. And what the Bible begins to describe here is various kinds of troops that begin to join themselves to David's army. They saw that he was an inspirational leader and they said, we want to be part of that army. But notice what the Bible says next about a group of people who joined themselves to David's army. Go all the way to verse 8. This is very interesting right here. 
some Gadites. Join David at the stronghold in the wilderness, mighty men of valor, men trained for battle, notice what the Bible says next, who could handle shield and spear, whose faces were like the faces of what? Lions and were swift as gazelles on the mountains. Now notice what the Bible says right here, that a group of people wanted to join themselves to David's army and begins to describe their abilities. But then the Bible describes some unusual characteristics. It says that they had faces like what? Lions and they had feet like what? Gazelles. Now let's stop here for a second, okay? Now I want you to imagine this scene in your mind, okay? Some people, when they read this passage, they imagine crazy-looking hybrid people who begin to come in, people with manes and deer feet, and they said, we'd like to join David's army. (laughs) But you see, the Bible teaches us a wonderful principle when it comes to reading the scripture. It's called thinking. (laughs) Amen? It's called thinking, okay? Now, here's something to pay attention to, okay? The Bible is saying right here, there was a group of soldiers who began to join themselves to David's struggle. They wanted to see David become king, and the Bible says they had lion-like faces, and they had feet like what? Gazelles. Now, the Bible here isn't describing, as I said before, hybrid creatures, What the Bible is describing is certain kinds of characteristics that were so present in these people, the only description the writer could say is they had lion-like faces and they had feet like what? Gazelles. Now, why this is so interesting is because we're starting to understand something, a very important principle about these group of people who joined themselves to David's army. There was no genetic mistake here. What it's describing is people who had a very fierce and dignified countenance. That when they showed up, it's like everybody knew. The Gadites right over there. The, The group of people everybody is moving away from. Right? Have you ever seen somebody that has a lion like face? Where you were to look at that person, you say, man, that person has a lion like face. Now, did you know in various kinds of cultures, various kinds of cultures, there are different people, different kinds of cultures that when they look at a face and they're trying to read a face, they will look at a certain part of the face. I was actually reading an article about this. Uh, For example, many people in Japan, when they're looking at a face, in order to read or sort of give an evaluation of a person, they will look at their eyes. What they found out in this study was that when it comes to Americans, that Americans will look at the mouth. And from the various sort of expressions on the face, they come to the conclusion about this kind of person. Now, when you think of someone who has a lion-like face, what immediately comes to your mind? Perhaps somebody who's Indian. No, you would think somebody who has some kind of dignity on their face, that when they show up, you would say, I can see this sort of dignity, a very kingly expression on their face. Or someone who's brave and ferocious. You would think, man, I mean, this person just has this brave, ferocious look at their face, that when you look at them, you're thinking, man, this person is ready for action here. 
This person is ready for action. And then the Bible says they had feet like what? Gazelles. Notice this. The Bible is actually describing both a predator and a, a prey. Now, if you notice this, gazelles and lions are known for two things. Gazelles are known for attacking and, did I say gazelles? Lions are known for attacking. <laughs> you guys, I really haven't had any sleep the last two nights, okay? Have mercy on me, okay? Lions are known for attacking and gazelles are known for their speed. In other words, the Bible begins to describe these people and say, look, when it comes to these soldiers who apparently want to join themselves to David's army, it says they possess this unusual characteristic that whenever they showed up, they looked like lions and they had feet like gazelles. Now the question comes to us, and that is this, how in the world did they become like this? And why is that even important for us today? The Bible says something quite remarkable about these people. Something very remarkable, we're about to look at it in just a second. You know, I was doing this study on how faces change. In other words, how facial structure becomes adjusted. Did you know there's about four or five ways that faces can be reconstructed or changed to give a different appearance? Well, the first one is, obviously, age, right? Over a long period of time, something begins to happen to the face. It begins to droop, right? You know what else changes facial structure? Plastic surgery. Plastic surgery. You know what else changes facial structure? Bodybuilding. You're saying, well, how? <laughs> You're wondering to yourself, how in the world does bodybuilding change the way you look? Because it begins to uh, get rid of the fat that's underneath the face. The face becomes just, you see sometimes cheekbones as the, the, the face begins to become more and more just thinner, right? But there's something else that changes people's face, and that's love. You ever see people in love? Yeah. <laughs> you know, they're just, there's just a, a shine on their face, right? Something's different. Their walk is different. You're looking at them, and they're unusually happy. But there is one more thing. Yeah. There is one more thing that changes the way people look. As I was doing these studies, this one blew me away, and that is trials. In other words, when people go through very sorrowful experiences, when they are struggling in trials, the look on their face changes. You know, Ellen White says in Desire of Ages that when Jesus came back from the 40 days of fasting and that struggle he was having with Satan, she says there were traces of conflict on his face. I never forgot one day I did an evangelistic series, preached, I think it was over a month. I came home, and this was one of the most intense evangelistic series I've ever had. I mean, everything was going wrong. I mean, there were powerful things that were taking place. The devil was attacking. A lot of work. It was just an intense experience. And I came back, and I went to go visit my family like a week after the series was done. And I, as soon as I walked into the living room, okay, my mom looks at me and she's like, what has happened to your face? I'm like, I look exactly like the same Anel that was before. But the truth of the matter is that the experience changed me. You see, these men, you're about to learn why or how they became lion-like in their appearance and how they had feet like gazelle. It wasn't like they were born like this. 
When you take a good look at the end of this passage, you're about to see something quite amazing. It begins to describe how in the world they became like this. This is what the Bible says. Some Gadites joined David at the stronghold in the wilderness. Mighty men of valor, men trained for battle who can handle shield and spear, whose faces were like the faces of lions and were as swift as gazelles on the mountains. Ezra the first, Obadiah the second, Eliab the third, Mishmana the fourth, Jeremiah the fifth, Atai the sixth, Eliel the seventh, Johanan the eighth, Elzabad the ninth, Jeremiah the tenth, Machbani the eleventh. Notice what this says next. These were from the sons of Gad, captains of the army. The least was over a hundred, and the greatest was over a thousand. Here's the key part right here. These are the ones who crossed the Jordan in the first month when it had overflowed in the banks. Now, some of you got that, and you're like, wow, that's amazing. Most of you are just like, I do not know what that means. In the Old Testament, what did people need many times when they crossed the Jordan? A miracle. Do you remember the Israelites when they crossed the Jordan? There was a miracle. Do you remember Elijah when he walked with Elisha through the Jordan? There was a miracle that parted the Jordan. But the Bible says right here, there was no miracle. In other words, what gave these men lion-like faces and feet like gazelle is that when they came across this crazy obstacle, they didn't just look at it and said, we're not going to cross this obstacle. They said, we're going right through it. They crossed the Jordan and its most difficult point. Now you just think to yourself, how in the world did they develop this lion-like courage? Because that's exactly what it would take to cross the Jordan River. They developed lion-like faces, this determination and this dignity, because when it came to this obstacle, they didn't back away from it. The Bible says also that when they stepped into war, everybody fled from them. You know, there's three things we need to understand when it comes to these Gadites, and that is this. Number one, they had fortitude. Number two, they had fearlessness. And number three, they had faith. They had what? They had faith. When it comes to this battle, we need these three principles in our lives. Fortitude, fearlessness, and faith. Now, when it comes to these things, oftentimes we think to ourselves, man, fortitude? What exactly is fortitude? Fortitude is the courage to keep trying when you are knocked down. Amen? The courage to keep trying when you are knocked down. Do you know what else you need? You need fearlessness. You need bravery. That when the obstacles and the trials and the tribulations are so big, you need a God-given courage not to walk away, but to go through it. You need bravery. There's one other thing, and that is faith. You see, these men right here, do you know why they came to David? The Bible actually says in the previous chapter, because these men were trying to establish David as the king. You know, we're told in Scripture that Jesus is a king, but in one sense, he still is receiving his kingdom. Read Daniel chapter 8. And during this time, there are various groups of people who are joining Christ's army in this fight. And many people possess various kinds of characteristics. Some possess attributes that are needed for these fight, this, this, this fight. And what God is calling us, and that is for us to join into this battle. And he wants to develop these characteristics in us fortitude, fearlessness, and faith. Amen? You know, I had this 
very intense experience that happened to me. Anybody know who um, Bear Grylls is? You ever heard of Bear Grylls? He eats all the worms. And uh, one day my friend calls me up and he says, he says, I mean, literally, like it was at midnight, and he says, hey, man, I just got this um, ticket, two tickets for these 24-hour survival course that are opened up by Bear Grylls. The first ones are going to be in California. Can you come? And I thought to myself, man, I don't do these things. But I decided to go. And it was such an intense experience. It really tried me. I mean, I went in there, and I was just like a, you know, like preppy city boy, pastor. And I came out, and I was like, ah! My walk had changed. I mean, just we came out. Everyone was just all fierce looking. I mean, there was mud everywhere. We, the, I mean, we had to do rappelling. We had to cross through water. I, I, I forgot. Even before we rappelled off the face of the rock, I told the guy, I was like, you know, last time I rappelled, I broke my back. And he's like, good. And he pushed me off the rock. I mean, there was intense experiences that were taking place in these 24 hours. We had to sleep in these man-made shelters, okay? And I was snuggled next to these big guys, two big guys. And uh, we had to build these shelters, and they were just like a foot off the ground, and we had to be in these shelters. I never forgot, you know, I opened my eyes, and there was like these pieces of these branches that were just pointing right at my eyeballs. <laughs> and I, it was just, a, <laughs> I mean, I was thinking to myself, God, why am I here? Why am I here? Why am I here? <laughs> the last thing we had to do, we had to go through this river, but you had to keep your backpacks on, okay? And we were crossing these rivers, and I never forgot, one of the guys was actually like, he kind of like let go of the rope, and he was like going like this. His backpack was <laughs> pulling him away, and I grabbed his part of his backpack. I'm like, and I got him right back onto that rope. And we were just going through, and we just continued to make it through. But when we came out of the experience, I told my friend, I was like, When's the next one? <laughs> When's the next one? Life is full of obstacles. Life is full of challenges. And you are at a, such a pivotal point in your life where God is calling you not to back away from this, but to go forward. And it only is those who struggle are going to be those who are going to make it through. Those who fight. Did you know there is victory in more than just the actual victory, but there's victory in just the fight itself. The striving itself is a form of victory. When you say, you know what? This is who I am. This is who God's called me to be. It's time to fight. And what we're going to be learning this week is some amazing things. You know, I had this experience that took place. I don't know why my life is full of crazy things. But I was doing this sermon on Joshua and Jericho. And I was preparing the sermon to preach. I never forgot that night. It was like 11 p.m. It was Friday night. I was like... Man, I'm so tired. I'm going to go on YouTube and see if there's some kind of Christian movie about Joshua and Jericho. <laughs> that was a mistake. You know what I found? I looked through YouTube and I was like, maybe, I'll, maybe I, had this fool, I had this foolish idea. Maybe I'll get some new lights. And so I looked on and I found this 1960s version of the story, Joshua and, and Jericho. And, like, I was like, okay, I'm going to play it. And it played, and, like, in the old movies, they take, like, an hour to get to the credits before they actually start. So I fast-forwarded all the way towards the end, and it starts off, the scene starts off like this. Joshua's talking with his soldiers, and they're, like, arguing back and forth. And then he walks away. And I'm like, that's not in the Bible. 
And he walks over to this altar, okay? And this is what he does. He gets on his knees, and he cries out, God, if you don't give me Jericho, these people are going to kill me. And then you know what he does next? He takes out a sword. He puts it to his neck, and he says, God, I'm going to die if you don't do this. And all of a sudden, this lightning strikes the altar, and the fire lights the altar, and this voice speaks, I have given you Jericho, and your men will not rebel against you. And I'm looking at that. I'm like, I am not going to be preaching on that stuff. <laughs> that didn't even happen. Now, what's my point in this? You know, I've come to realize something about Hollywood and their attempts to make Christian movies. It's not that just Hollywood is full of wicked people. I'm sure there's some evil people there. The point is this, is that when they look at the Bible and they see biblical struggle, that doesn't make sense to them. Amen? When they see biblical faith, and they're looking at the Bible story and they said, that doesn't make sense. And so you know what they do? They'll rewrite the script. They'll add crazy rock monsters in there. They'll get some CGI. And what they're trying to do is they're trying to figure out and trying to fix the story. Because when they're looking at the Bible and they're reading about men who were struggling with God and prevailed, it doesn't make sense to them. But this is something that is so important for us. An experience that God wants to give to you. It is not something that could be copied. It is not something that could be counterfeited or duplicated or put on the movie screen. God wants to give you a biblical, powerful faith that struggles and keeps on struggling until victory. But it requires you willing to enter into the struggle and not look back. And not look back. You may be struggling with your sins today and wondering to yourself, God has finally crossed the line and God is saying to you, keep fighting. You may be struggling with discouragement and you're thinking to yourself, God, there's ne I don't see victory in sight. And God is saying, keep struggling. You may be somebody today thinking to yourself, I don't have any kind of purpose here in college. I don't even know the direction God is leading my life and you feel like everybody else knows but you. God says, don't give up. He may have some of the most beautiful plans for you. And I want to end with this story. Very interesting story. Took place several years ago. It was about a boxer by the name of Rocky Marciano. Okay? It's a real boxer, not the other guy. <laughs> Rocky Marciano. Old days. And one day he took on this guy that people say could not be beaten. People who said, man, when he comes to this guy, I think that Rocky Marciano, he's finally going to lose. He's finally going to lose this match. So they get into this fight. And they box back and forth. Twelfth round, all of a sudden, Rocky Marciano jabs at him, knocks out this guy. And the crowd goes, Rob. And so after the fight, the journalists, they sit him down, Rocky Marciano. And they're looking at his face, and his face is just beaten up. You can imagine... Maybe the Gadites looked like that too. There were scars, bruises, nicks. They're looking at his face. It's just puffed up. His eye is swollen. All the cameras are trying to take pictures of him. And the journalists are trying to ans ask him questions. And finally, one journalist speaks up and asks these words. He said, how'd you do it, Rocky? How'd you beat this guy that nobody said could be beaten? 
How'd you beat him? His response was this. Looked right at the camera with his eyes that are just piercing, looked right at that camera, looked right at that journalist and said to him, you want to know how I beat this guy? I fought one more round. I fought one more round. One more round. God is calling you to fight one more round. Amen. He's going to bless you in incredible ways. But he calls you not to back away from the struggle, but to enter into it with your hands and your feet and say, God, all the way. You're going to come out scarred. You're going to come out bruised. You're going to come out beaten up. But God is saying, you keep struggling. You keep fighting this fight. And you're going to see what God does for you. Amen? Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we just want to thank you so much. Thank you so much for your goodness. And Lord, thank you that you do not turn away your heart from those who are fighting and struggling, even feel like they're losing. But Lord, we know that you are most attentive to those who feel they are the weakest. Father in heaven, I just want to pray a special blessing upon this group here. We're beginning a, a journey during these next few days, but the very first thing you call us to do is to keep going forward, to keep up with this struggle, to enter into it and not back away. God, I just pray a special blessing upon that person here today who was questioning so much. Lord, bless them with encouragement. Thank you so much for today. And Lord, may we go back with just a sense of your presence. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.